so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. So yeah, Brent gets to jump in. <laughs> Sorry, I'm the worst. I, is, hold on. Is, any, is anybody's FaceTime on delay? Is that part of the issue? Y'all are like way delay? behind. All, all three of y'all are way behind on FaceTime with what I'm hearing your voices. Oh, sorry. You're in, you're in real time for me. You're in real time for me. I saw your dance. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. Ash Wester and with me in the studio, or at least I should say the virtual studio this week, are my co-host. And there are four of us, so get ready. First up, a new voice to the podcast. This is Julie Masson. Hey, I'm calling from Kansas City, bringing some Midwestern flavor here. We need some. So is Kansas City in Kansas or Missouri? Well, the Kansas City I live in is in Missouri, but there are two Kansas cities, but the best one is the one in Missouri, to be clear. Good to know. So I'm sure we'll get into more of that soon. Also with us and back from last week is Megan Smith. Hey there. Megan, that's wonderful. That's all I got. And and I think he's still with us, uh, our ever faithful co-host, Brent Leatherwood. That's right. Just just call me old faithful. I, I am I am the reliable voice on this podcast. No doubt about it. Yes. Well, we're really excited to get into it. And because Julie is joining us for the first time, she serves as our director of marketing and she is, well, just a wizard with all things uh, digital. And so really excited for you to get to know her and hear more about her. But she's actually going to help us this week. We're going to do a different look at what Lindsay normally does with the URLC content rundown. Julie's going to tell us uh, what the URLC is talking about from her perspective. All right, Julie, take it away. All right. Well, I get to talk about the wonderful content we have at the ERLC, but I get to talk about it from a different angle because my job is to make sure all of the fabulous content we roll out each week gets put out to our external audiences, whether it's on email or on social. So I thought it would be fun to look at how some of those articles perform this week on Facebook and let you know how some of our social media audiences responded to that. So our most popular pieces on Facebook this week, we had two that um, just performed really well. And when I say they performed really well, I mean they got lots of engagement. Sometimes that engagement is really positive. And let's be real, sometimes that engagement is not so great. So the first one... Facebook comments are kind of like a a jungle sometimes. They can be like a dumpster fire, to be honest. So (laughs) um, I encourage you to... Avert your eyes. Avert your eyes. (laughs) And I would just say have pity for anyone who works in social media and has to read Facebook comments. Say a prayer for those of us that are in this line of work. All right. So the first one that performed really well was, it was an article by Matthew J. Hall. And here's what we shared on Facebook. 
The call to reconciliation with one another is not an optional attitude for some Christians. It is central to the Christian life and is best understood as a matter of discipleship. Maybe today is as good a day as any to renew our commitment to that vision and confess that we still have a long way to go. So this came from an article we shared on Monday, which was MLK Day. We got quite a few responses, but I really enjoyed this one that came from someone whose name is Jared M. He said, we as Christians ought to form a culture that is comfortable with people of different color and culture being in our churches. As the article says, the church is called to be a community of acceptance in Christ. So whenever we talk about race on our social media channels, there's some interesting comments. Josh, did you notice some of that this week? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like like you said, anytime that we talk about race, there's always going to be kind of a, uh, as I'll use a Brent word and say a plethora of comments and feedback. And uh, the really encouraging thing is that in our work here at the ERLC, like we have tried, especially since uh, Dr. Moore came to the ERLC back in 2013, to to make uh, race and racial reconciliation something that's just at the forefront of our ministry as an organization. And it has been really, really cool to me. Like one of the things that I try to focus on are the number of people who are like already there or affirming uh, the direction that we're trying to take these things. We're trying to see uh, our churches be this, you know, what MLK called a beloved community. We're trying to be a, a community that that looks like the global body of Christ, that is uh, accepting of people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds. And so it is really encouraging to me, even though not all, like you mentioned, of the uh, feedback that we get is always positive. There are so many people uh, who both our work and, and organizations like us have been able to, to help them think better about this topic. And I think that's, you know, that's really great. Yeah, I agree. I'm really glad we were able to cover some of the content we've had in the past on MLK Day. Um, All right, moving along to another piece that caused quite a bit of a stir. This came out yesterday, as many of you know, and I'm sure we will talk about later in Brent's section, yesterday was the inauguration of President Joe Biden. The president of our organization released a piece on the Gospel Coalition, and we shared that on Facebook with this Christians who support President Biden should emphasize in their prayers God changing his mind on unjust or imprudent matters, and those who oppose President Biden should emphasize God granting blessing and success to every just and wise initiative of his. God will hear all of those prayers, but the way we pray them might help us. So I'm really glad that he published this piece over at the Gospel Coalition, and I'm going to be honest, when we put it up on our Facebook page, again, to use Brent's word, we had quite the plethora of comments. And I I really enjoyed this one that came from someone, her name is Flora P. She said, I have been praying for both. I think she's referring to past President Trump and current President Biden. I have been praying for both for a long while now and will continue to do so. And I love that because I think it's a great reminder for all of us that no matter who's in office, whether it's local, state, or at the national level, we should be praying for elected officials. So I really appreciated her comment where we had um, quite quite the plethora of vocal comments on that Facebook post. Josh, you read some of those last week, or not last week, sorry, yesterday. People were pretty passionate. Some were pretty angry. Yeah, Julie, this was a a great piece by Dr. Moore, and it's just a reminder that, you know, as believers, we are called to pray, and specifically, we are called to pray for those in authority over us. And um, that can sometimes be very difficult in the uh, immediate aftermath of an election or, like this week, the, the inauguration where 
Uh, obviously, the, the transfer of power is, is concluded, uh, but it is something that we are called to do, and it's something that we should do in order to seek the good of the city or the country where, where we live. Um, you know, we should pray for our leaders to have wisdom, to lead with humility, to conduct affairs with a sense of, of true justice. These are good and noble things that we can pray for and God can use uh, to help work within the realm of, of public policy. And so um, this this reminder from uh, Dr. Moore was 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 timely, uh, as you said. It got a plethora of comments, and uh, I'm thankful for that. And I'm also thankful that y'all are following in my very erudite ways uh, by oh, uh, by using these SAT words. <laughs> All right. Well, moving from Facebook over to Twitter, which Christian Twitter is sometimes referred to as the true dumpster fire. But look, we have to be in that world, and it's our honor to be in that world and speak into what's happening over in Twitter. So in the world of Twitter this week, we shared a Baptist Press article in which Dr. Moore was quoted, and here's what he had to say. The world must not turn our eyes away from this genocide against human beings made in the image of God. We can never again allow genocide to go unnoticed and unanswered. So like I said, this came from a Baptist Press article in which we, as the ERLC, commended the United States Declaration on the Trump administration's last full day that China has committed genocide against Uyghur Muslims and other ethnic and religious minorities. Dr. Moore also said later on in the article, in addition, I urge the business community to take seriously what is happening to this imperiled religious minority. Few issues these days seem to transcend our country's partisan divisions, but this should be one of them. Um, a guy whose name is Jason, not our Jason. Uh, this guy's name is Jason P. He quote tweeted this and said, Uyghurs are made in the image of God. This is more important than any economic fallout that may result. I fully support calling this what it is, a genocide. I know that our policy team and Brent and Josh, you all have talked about this issue and it's it's horrific. It's terrible. And I remember learning about the Holocaust growing up, and it's amazing to think that there is a genocide happening right now. Megan, do you have any thoughts on this Baptist Press article that we released, or really the topic in general? Julie, I like your point about um, the Holocaust. And I think this has kind of hit me in the same way, this topic on the Uyghur Muslims. And it just keeps coming back up in social media, keeps seeing it over and over again. And so I love that it's gaining traction. I love that people are paying attention to it and we're bringing awareness to it, that Dr. Moore is calling this out, bringing it before people's eyes and um, that it's a focus right now. I think that's really good, Megan. And it is good to keep this uh, topic like right in front of people's faces. You know, China is uh, like Julie, that comment that you referenced about the economic fallout. China is a economic powerhouse. I mean, it's a country, it's the, in terms of population, it's the largest nation in the world. It's one of the uh, largest economies in the world. And it is, you know, in terms of being an economic superpower, there are so many uh, world leaders and nations that are afraid to criticize China, even in the face of what is the, you know, um, among the very worst human rights abuses in our time, 
simply because they don't want to be on the wrong side of a trade partnership with China, or they don't want to face any kind of economic retaliation. And the truth is that we have been talking about at the ERLC for a long time, countering China morally, and there is no excuse for this. And it is time for the nations of the world, the international community to stand up to China as they are literally persecuting and perpetrating a genocide against this ethnic minority. It is, it is outrageous. And as Christians, we should definitely definitely uh, not just turn a blind eye to this, but but put as much, exert whatever pressure we can on our government uh, and using our own voices to, to see relief for these persecuted people. Yeah, I agree. And let me say, sometimes on our social media feeds and comments, when we post about this issue, sometimes people push back and say, why are we advocating for another religious minority? Why, why would we advocate for somebody who is worshiping a false god? Again, Julia, like I think that's a really good question. It is something that we get quite a lot. Like, why? I actually wrote a piece not not that long ago. Uh, why do Christians care about religious liberty? Because the truth is that as Christians, as, as evangelicals, we believe there's only one way to heaven, and that is through faith, uh, repentance, and faith in the saving work of Jesus, and that no other path can take you to heaven or bring about salvation. But at the same time, we defend religious freedom because we recognize that as Christians, we know that a person cannot be compelled to come to saving faith. The government can't tell people that Christianity is the true religion and therefore people are saved. Uh, people are only saved through a personal experience. And so we think that it is better for all people uh, to have that uh, religious freedom freedom protected. And whether that means that they are worshiping the one true God or whatever ways they're worshiping according to their own consciences, we are, especially as Baptists, we, we stand in a long line of our long tradition of Christians who have been persecuted and suffered because of their faith. And what we what we realize is that a person's faith is something that is at the very core of who they are uh, in terms of their identity. And the government has no business telling people how they are to worship. We don't want the government telling us how we are to worship as Christians, and we don't want the government telling anyone else how they're allowed to worship either. And so we defend religious freedom for all because we recognize that this is a key and bedrock principle of it really emerges or emanates from our own Christian faith. Yeah, you know, I think of Cora Ten Boom in uh, World War II and her active participant in protecting and harboring Jews. Um, and she did that because of her faith, and she wanted to serve and protect them and love them. And so I think that's a really good example for us to follow in this modern day and age. All right, let's move on over to Instagram, our last platform that we're going to cover. If you are not following us on Instagram, I encourage you to do so. We are on Instagram at ERLCSBC. You can also follow our president, Dr. Moore, there. And on Instagram, he is at Russell Moore. Um, I would say you might get a little bit of a different flavor of the ERLC over on Instagram. So on Instagram, we shared a couple of videos this week. And they come from Southern Baptist pastors and leaders who are still leading and shepherding their people well through a global pandemic. One video came from Tim Patterson. He's the executive director at the Baptist State Convention in Michigan. I loved what he was sharing. It is amazing what the churches there in Michigan are doing during the pandemic. So he shared that their local churches in the state have been able to help provide masks and gloves to first responders in hospitals, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when those were supplies that many many hospitals didn't even have access to. Um, he also mentioned that churches there have been handing out hand sanitizers and bleach to local government officials. He also talked about, I don't remember if it was a local association or if it was one church, but 
there are some churches that were bringing truckloads of dairy products. And at first I thought maybe this was from Wisconsin, but he's actually in Michigan. So maybe there's, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a bunch of dairy farmers in Michigan, but regardless, they were providing dairy products to people who needed them. Cause as we've, we've learned, there's been a lot of problems with lower income families not having access to food throughout the pandemic because of job loss or kids not being in school. So I just loved hearing from Mr. Patterson talk about the many ways churches from across the state of Michigan are serving in their communities in practical ways through the COVID-19 pandemic. What I love about uh, not only what Tim Patterson contributed, but the, I mean, just whole host of other pastors and church leaders uh, that we are featuring on this kind of new platform. This It's erlc.com slash COVID-19. We've got a whole bunch of resources and articles, but we've got these great videos that are uh, sharing best practices and encouragements and just innovative ways that churches have met the challenge of COVID. And it's honestly, it's just a good reminder of the ways that our pastors are really leading well right now. And our church, the same goes for other church leaders, our, our state convention leaders. While 2020 and the pandemic presented a number of difficulties, I think the church has really excelled in this moment in ministry. I totally agree. It's been amazing what our Southern Baptist churches have been doing to reach out and love their communities with really practical ways. All right, I want to wrap up this section with an encouraging note from the world of Instagram. Kat R. wrote us a direct message and said, Hi, first of all, thank you for your work in this crazy social media world in bringing truth and challenge, not to mention the amazing work you all are doing in Washington. I am so grateful for your voices. As the person at the ERLC who manages what people say to us, what we say to them, I cannot tell you how appreciative I am when we get encouraging messages like this. So thank you, Kat R, for writing in. And we hope that the content we release on social media will continue to encourage you. Hey, thanks, Julie. That is that is a really fun look at the work that we do each week here at the ERLC. And so appreciate you bringing that unique perspective. So Brent, that brings us to you. And you know, like we, we've made this joke several times, but it was not a quiet week in the world of culture. So tell us what's going on. You're absolutely right, Josh. It was a busy week, although uh, I would say the the vast majority of news was consumed with, as I said earlier, the the conclusion of the uh, transfer of power in the uh, executive branch of our nation's government. So on Wednesday of this week, actually just before noon, I was about to say at high noon, but it actually took place right before noon. Joe Biden was sworn in as our nation's 46th president of the United States. So Axios obviously had a lot of great coverage this week. We refer to them often, and uh, it's because they have great explanations of everything that's going on. They report that Biden was sworn in just before noon on Wednesday, and the 78-year-old Democrat assumes the presidency at a fraught moment for the country, which remains polarized and in the grips of a coronavirus crisis that has killed more than 400,000 Americans. The inauguration took place on the steps of the U.S. Capitol, where just two weeks earlier, a pro-Trump mob staged a deadly riot to disrupt the certification of Biden's victory. And I don't know about y'all, but one of the 
probably one of the the best uh, posts that I saw on social media this week was someone who took uh, photographs from the Capitol from each of the first three Wednesdays of January. The first one, uh, starting January 6th, being the, the actual riot that took place. The next Wednesday was Speaker Pelosi presiding over the historic second impeachment vote of Donald Trump. And then the third Wednesday being uh, the the actual inauguration of Joe Biden as president. And I was joking with one of our colleagues, this is just the first three Wednesdays of 2021, and I already feel like I've aged at least a year. Literally, it was so bad that my wife came and sat down next to me yesterday as we were as I was sitting by the fire, you know, just enjoying the evening. And she brought pictures of men who look good with gray hair and just said, hey, I can see you're under a lot of stress. Just want to let you know it's going to be okay. Wow. Did you did you receive that as a burn or were you encouraged? Uh, I don't yet, honestly. Still processing. <laughs> but yes, I think okay. I think my formerly like white blonde hair is about to be uh, real gray. Well, I say welcome to the gray hair club. Well, uh, I feel like it's an Only early men can do this. to gain. <laughs> hey, Brent, I have a question. Did you ever get to attend an inauguration? Obviously, you probably wouldn't have been up on the Capitol steps. I did. But did you get to be? Okay. What was it like? Yeah. Uh, when an inauguration occurs, uh, each member of the House and the Senate uh, automatically get put on the, the guest list. Um, as do their staff uh, to attend the inauguration. So obviously the the members of Congress and and other dignitaries, former presidents, uh, they get to be up on the platform uh, where the actual swearing-in takes place. Then right below the platform, there's another section for foreign dignitaries, uh, special guests, et cetera. And then right after that is the ring for um, congressional staff. And so that's where I was. And I was there in 2004 for President George W. Bush's second inaugural, which I got to tell you at the time, I just thought was, when I still do, it was an incredibly lofty speech that truly uh, cast a vision for, you know, um, spreading democracy around the globe. And, um, it was amazing. At the same time, I also will tell you, I've probably never been more cold in my life uh, because I just remember the asphalt uh, in D.C. walking over to that section of the hill was so cold. My The bottom of my feet felt like they were ice cubes uh, by the by the end of it. So, uh, no, I, if, if you can attend an inauguration, you know, once the pandemic ends and everybody can safely do it, I, I would highly encourage folks that are interested in politics to do so. It was it was uh, it was a very interesting time. So. All right. The next story is obviously uh, with Joe Biden taking over as president. Donald Trump exited the White House as president. And so he departed on Air Force One before Biden was sworn in. So traditionally, the outgoing president uh, is there to witness the the oath of office uh, that is taken by their successor. Uh, Donald Trump did not do that. He is not the first president to do that. As a matter of fact, the last president to not do that uh, occurred back in the 1860s when a Tennessean uh, who was president, uh, Andrew Johnson, uh, declined to uh, be a part of the festivities for his successor. So uh, from an Axios report, former President Trump did not attend the ceremony. He departed Washington on Air Force One for the last time on Wednesday morning. 
heading to Florida as he awaits a post-presidency impeachment trial on charges of inciting an insurrection. A White House spokesperson confirmed to Axios that President Trump left President Biden a note in the Oval Office following a long-standing presidential tradition. Uh, Later, when President Biden was asked about it, he would only say that it was a very generous note, but he would not comment on what was said until he has a chance to personally speak with President Trump. I am fascinated. A, I love that tradition, and I am just fascinated uh, by by maybe what sorts of uh, wisdom or advice or commentary uh, President Trump may have provided to President Biden. Brent, that's really interesting. Uh, I can't imagine what Trump wrote in a note to Biden. I can imagine as a passing president that that would be just so interesting to leave somebody a note, some secret, some encouragement, some who who knows if it was encouraging or not. But um, I really enjoyed watching the inauguration, the whole um, passing of power. I love the just the I don't know, just the formalness of it. Um, We had a lot of talk as girls at the ERLC of all the fashion that was there and um, the performances between Lady Gaga, et cetera. And so it was really fun. Um, But it was fun to watch yesterday. And um, it's been a long January. So we shall see what's next. Okay, Megan, I'm really glad that you said, uh, talked about the music that was there because the thing that, you know, I'm a nerd, loved the inauguration, watched all of it. But the thing that I'm still dying over is the rap artist Lecrae who tweeted, this is my first Garth Brooks concert. And I just... That was amazing. It's been killing me ever since that happened. And I still like... That is like an epic tweet for me. It was just so funny. That was also my first Garth Brooks concert. It was awesome. You guys know how I feel about country. But I think he did a good job. I will say that. He wore jeans, Brent. He wore jeans. He did. And... And they were they were pressed jeans. He wore his very best jeans uh, to appear on the platform and sing Amazing Grace. You know, I'm glad that we're talking about music. Listeners to our podcast will know I am a huge fan of patriotic music. As a matter of fact, I will say this. I actually interrupted, because I do this once every four years, I actually interrupted Christmas music that is continuing to play in the Leatherwood household for a day of patriotic music, uh, just because that... The whole transfer of power thing, I'm right there what with you, What does patriotic music? Me right here in the is fields. Is it band music? What is it? You've never watched like a think, July 4th uh, think, concert on the National Mall? Yeah. It's all of that. Okay. Yeah. So it's like orchestral it's band. orchestra. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Orchestra. Uh-huh. Yep. There you go. You learned something new when you guest Clearly. host here on the ERLC podcast. Okay. All right. Well, so uh, Trump bid goodbye to <laughs> Trump bid goodbye uh, to supporters at Andrews Air Force Base, and he told them it has been quote an honor of a lifetime to serve as president, and said goodbye to the press who were there covering the event, adding that it will hopefully not be a long goodbye. Well, it's that last part that had some uh, uh, believers in the QAnon conspiracy theory holding on uh, to, uh, well, the conspiracy theory itself. So Reuters is reporting that in the wake of the inauguration, QAnon is reeling. For three years, adherents of the sprawling QAnon conspiracy theory awaited a so-called Great Awakening, 
scouring anonymous web postings from a shadowy Q figure and parsing statements by former U.S. President Donald Trump, whom they believed to be their champion. On Wednesday, they grappled with a harsh reality check. Trump had left office with no mass arrests or other victories against the supposed cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophile cannibal elites, especially Democrats, that he was ostensibly fighting. Instead, Democratic President Joe Biden was calmly sworn into office, leaving legions of QAnon faithful struggling to make sense of what had transpired. So, you know, I, I point out this story not to necessarily make light uh, of of people that uh, have fallen under the persuasion, I guess I would say, of uh, something that is just complete fantasy. I think in this time of isolation that has been caused by COVID, uh, we all need to have empathy uh, for folks who who might be disillusioned by something like this. And look, conspiracy theories, it's nothing new to this current moment we're living in. They've been around for, for ages. But that said, I, I do think it's important to try and start bringing people back into reality. And uh, and, and Wednesday was, I think, a, a part of that process. I think that's that's exactly right, Brandon. I mean, we have we spent a lot of time at the ERLC talking about Q and trying to debunk and address uh, conspiracy theories. It has been so, so sad because we're, we're not talking about a few people. We're talking about uh, easily over a million people who have been sucked in to this conspiracy theory that's been flourishing for years now. And so to, to kind of see uh, that there is a man behind the curtain uh, here, I guess that there is a man behind the curtain, but in any case, uh, to, to see that there is no uh, substance to this conspiracy-driven kind of myth it's good because I want to see people rescued from that. Uh, hopefully there's lessons that people who were sucked into it or even just were uh, kind of willing to believe it. Hopefully there's lessons for them to, to know that that conspiracy theories are dangerous. They really do harm people's, like real people's lives. Even if this didn't cost them anything in terms of substance, the truth is that a lot of people invested a lot of time and emotional energy into something that turned out to be totally fabricated. And the signs were there all along. And so... I really think this is not a moment we should let pass without learning the right lessons. I love that, Josh. Um, I think that should be put into a picture quote that we could put up on ERLC social media. What did you say? We shouldn't move past this without learning the right lessons? So, yeah, something like that. that is you not don't a remember moment. what you said, do you? No, I mean, that's why we record these things, so, they, so they're, they're there for priority. No, that's really good. I think that's a good reminder. And I know for us and our family, we've got people in our lives who are not steeped in QAnon, but they are steeped in conspiracy light things, you might even say. And it's hard. And I think Brent's right because people have been stuck inside and online and there's so much downtime and there's so many rabbit trails you can go down when you're on the internet and people have found things that are just not helpful. So I'm glad that we at the ERLC can speak to some of that and provide some clarity. Right. And I mean, look, Let's take stock of where we are, right? Uh, We have a a once-in-a-generation pandemic that is on a rampage around the globe that has caused incredible economic upheaval. Uh, We are in a cultural moment where distrust between authorities and, frankly, between uh, different ethnic groups is at all-time highs. And so uh, this is all just unsettling. And I think for 
Uh, certain folks out there, they're, they're just looking for some sort of explanation uh, to all this. And, and that sort of longing for an explanation leaves people vulnerable to something like this uh, affecting them. And, uh, you know, as, as Christians, uh, we need to remind one another, uh, well, we need to uh, carry one another's burdens and remind each other of not only the goodness of the gospel, but the surety of the gospel, like that is the one true thing we can hold on to and be thankful for. And so, um, Josh, I thought your comment was was perfect there. Speaking of COVID, uh, the inaugural events paid respects uh, to those who have passed from the virus. NBC News reports that nearly 200,000 flags were on display on the National Mall ahead of uh, Joe Biden's inauguration and during it. The field of flags represents Americans who were unable to travel to D.C. for Inauguration Day amid the pandemic. The Presidential Inaugural Committee also lit the field of flags with 56 pillars of light representing each U.S. state and U.S. territory. And while we're on the subject of COVID, we should uh, mention this. The new California variant may be driving a virus surge there. So the New York Times reports this, they found it, though in relatively few samples, but in the process, scientists made another unwelcome discovery. California had produced a variant of its own. So there's been a lot in the news about a UK variant of the virus, and this is what those scientists found, but then they also found a new strain of the virus. It's uh, it's something that is quickly spreading, Uh, And it is something that scientists are worried about. And I've read other articles this week suggesting that there are more variants. So as the virus is spreading, it is mutating. And um, that's that's certainly something that uh, we need to be concerned about. And we need to, if Lindsay was here, she would remind us we need to continue taking this very seriously as a public health crisis. Brent, I think this is a good time for me to say that Lindsay, who is not here, is not on vacation. As you should. You know, I have caught an unbelievable amount of grief uh, since last week when I mentioned the fact that, you know, uh, when I said that Lindsay was on vacation, I obviously meant because she's taking a break from the podcast, not that like having a newborn in your house is totally a vacation. Although I have talked to her, I'll just say this for my, in my own defense, I've talked to Lindsay many times uh, since the birth of her son. And she does sound like she's thriving in all the, in every way that you could be thriving in this circumstance. So, so good for her. We miss her. Uh, but yeah, Brent, that's exactly what she would say if she were here. I think she's in her happy place. And well, I think and she's I- in her happy place for a lot of reasons. She's got her babies, but also she's not around COVID. And she doesn't have to go out. People are bringing meals safely. So she's in her happy place. She doesn't have to worry about all the COVID things that exist out there, like new strains. In fact, she'll probably probably hunker down a little bit more now with news of these new strains. Well, and Josh, I just... I just want to say, I, I was trying to go with it, right? I mean, you said vacation. And so, but then this morning, she started giving me grief for not talking to her as much as you have. She was thinking I was kind of ignoring her. And I just explained, hey, I'm, I'm just letting you be off the grid on your vacation as per, you know, Josh's comment. And that wasn't that with well? much enthusiasm. Yeah, so, I bet it didn't. I mean, I can understand why she, I mean, I, I understood she, you know, uh, brought a new life into this world. And, uh, but Josh, you know, decided to call it a vacation. And I, I, I just wanted to respect that, you know, so. And all the moms at the yeah. ERLC heard it and 
We're not impressed. Well, big time mea culpa. That's right. (laughs) All right. Turning our attention to uh, SBC News. So uh, folks may not realize this, uh, in the, at the upcoming annual meeting, there will be four individuals running for SBC president to succeed J.D. Greer, uh, who is at the end of his term. Those four individuals are Al Mohler, Ed Litton, Randy Adams, and Mike Stone. So uh, this is a pretty large field of, of candidates. And it's worth mentioning, I think, in our report here, just because it is a sizable group of folks that are running uh, for SBC president. So uh, definitely would encourage uh, our listeners to stay tuned to Baptist Press for updates about the race and to see if anyone else were to, to join. Yeah, I was um I was listening to our friends at SBC this week talk about the uh you know now we have four candidates in the race at the time they were talking about the fact there were three and they they talked about in years past there was apparently at one point a time where or a convention where there were like over ten candidates that were in the race and it was just absolute madness. Um, one of my favorite points of SBC trivia this happened a, a couple of years ago, I think, but I think it was Steve Gaines and JD Greer who were going head to head and they had to do a, another round of balloting because in a two person race, neither candidate managed to get over 50%. So anyway, if you're not an SBC insider, th- these kind of inner workings of the Baptist life are uh, both fascinating and uh, just, just really interesting. We um, at the ERLC are, of course, interested to see who the next president is because that that person, uh, even though they don't, it's not like a full-time job they're taking on or anything like that. They very much are a figurehead with some important duties. They are, they, they very much help shape and direct the SBC over the course of two years. So that's going to matter a great deal. And that'll be decided uh, in, at the annual meeting in June, which is happening in Nashville. That's right. So, uh, Assuming everything goes well and uh, we get the pandemic under control, we would love to welcome our audience to uh, the SBC annual meeting that will take place here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Another thing that's of great importance to uh, Christians and especially Southern Baptists is the pro-life movement. And our partners over at the March for Life had an important announcement this week. From their statement, the protection of all those who participate in the annual March for Life as well as the many law enforcement personnel and others who work tirelessly each year to ensure a safe and peaceful event is a top priority for the March for Life. In light of that fact, this year's March will look different. The annual rally will take place virtually, and we are asking all participants to stay home and join the March virtually. So that is, that's something that we had, had actually kind of anticipated at the RLC. Uh, We've recently been letting folks know about our own pro-life event that parallels the March for Life. Julie, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about that? Yes. If you weren't going to let me talk about that, I was going to force my way in there. So a week from today, we are hosting our own virtual Evangelicals for Life. This is an event we've hosted. I believe we've hosted this event for the past five years. So we've been doing this event in Washington, D.C., This will be the first time we have ever done our own Evangelicals for Life event virtually, but it's going to be a great lineup. Tickets are free. You can register at erlc.com slash events. We have a great lineup of speakers. Benjamin Watson will be there. Our own Dr. Moore, of course, will be there. And then we have some panelists who will be talking 
And the the thing that we're going to be covering at this event is pointing people towards the upcoming anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which is in 2023. So we're trying to look ahead and look at ways that we can continue to try and make abortion unthinkable in our generation. So I encourage you all to attend. You can find information about that on all of our social media channels. Or like I said, you can go to erlc.com slash events to register. All right. And on a final note, uh, I thought this was a really interesting study that uh, was reported on by CNBC. The title is The States Americans Headed to the Most in 2020, According to U-Haul. So work from home orders and job losses caused by the COVID-19 pandemic prompted many Americans to pack up and head to other states. So a little bit of trivia here for you two colleagues. What state do you think was tops on the list? Probably not California. I don't think people were moving into California. That's my guess. That's my non-guess. You know, I just assume that smart people will head to Tennessee or Texas because they don't have income tax. Or the Midwest. A Midwest is a great place to move because in the Midwest, you have affordable housing, kind people. Why not move to the Midwest? Well, there you go. Josh, you you are the closest there. Uh, the three of the top four states, the one thing they have in common is no state income tax. That's right. And you're absolutely, I mean, you're, you know me. I, I honestly, I would probably not do this if Tennessee wasn't the number one destination. So it was Tennessee, Texas, Florida, and Ohio. So there's a little Midwestern connection for you, Julie. Uh, those were the top four states that U-Haul said folks rented a one-way vehicle to move their stuff to. That's a a fascinating little bit of uh, information coming out of, of 2020. So if you are a new resident of the volunteer state, hear me say welcome, friends. This is a great place to call home. Tennessee sounds like home to me. To quote Dolly Parton, the Queen of Tennessee, y'all should y'all should understand that if you're actually going to be citizens here. I think I'll stay in the Midwest, but I love your love of your state. Dolly would welcome you here too. I, I promise. All right, with that, Julie and Josh, you look at this week in culture. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things that we've been talking about with one another. Uh, and if you notice, Megan has dropped off the podcast because she literally had to go to an actual lunchroom to help somebody with a complicated order. That is an inside joke, but we'll just leave it there because it's worth keeping. So Julie, you're up first this week. So tell us what's on your mind. Okay. First, I want to say, because I work remotely in Kansas City, I never actually get to be a part of y'all's physical lunchroom there in Nashville. So I feel a little bit like I'm a part of the real lunchroom here. So I want to recommend another podcast. Can I do that? Can I encourage our listeners to listen to another podcast? Because I'm going to do it. It's probably against our self-interest, but we do that all the time. Okay. So this is for all the parents out there. My family listens to this podcast every morning, almost every morning, Monday through Friday. And to put things in perspective, I have a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and 9-year-old, and they really enjoy it. The podcast is called Kid News. It's about six minutes long, and they cover everything from current events to kind of warm-hearted, feel-good stories to sports. So, for example, today they talked about the inauguration yesterday. They shared a story about a young man up in British Columbia who got lost. He was 
snowmobiling with his dad and he had to build an igloo to protect himself because he got separated and he ended up being okay, but they shared that little story. So Kid News is a fabulous podcast. It's spelled K-I-D-N-U-Z. And I would say it's good if you've got kids who are pre-K, kindergarten, all the way up through eighth grade. It's really good. It's short. You can listen while you eat breakfast. Have a good roundup of kid-friendly news for your day. So I have yet to check this Kid News program out, but it is funny because Julie is like an apologist for it, and there are tons of people on our team that now listen to it just because of Julie's advocacy. So I probably will check it out. Right now, I don't have a commute, and so I'm not taking my kids anywhere in the car because I think that would be like the ideal time to listen to this. But I do want to like make a plan to do this because I think it would be really helpful uh, just to be able to talk through current events with my kids. Breakfast. You do it at breakfast, Josh. It's easy. All breakfast. the kids are sitting there. Okay. And they, what's great about it is at the end, they do a quiz. So they do, as my my past teacher self loves it, they do a check for understanding. And the kids love to make to see if they got if they got the answers right. So highly recommend it. Check it out. The only problem, uh, Julie, with your plan in our family is that our drive to school is the time to listen to Christmas music. Oh, and Brent. So it's, oh, it's, Brent. Uh, is your tree still up? <laughs> but no, Tell me your I, uh, tree is still down. No, unfortunately, the tree is is no longer up. Uh, good, but our kids good. have been, you know, wistfully asking for it maybe to make a reappearance, which I'm not above <laughs> doing. So, all right. Well, what I wanted to to share for our lunchroom segment is coming out of the inauguration. There's a there's a number of memes uh, floating around, but but probably the best one, at least in my opinion is the one of Bernie Sanders, the senator from Vermont and former uh, Democratic presidential candidate, uh, who is in his best grumpy self, sitting on his chair, legs folded in, you know, bundled up in his best Vermont attire uh, for, you know, a cold winter day. And folks are just taking that little snapshot of him and just putting him in random, you know, I think I saw one of him in a boy band. Uh, I saw one of him outside the SBC building. Uh, I saw one of him just all over random places. And probably the, the, the best tweet that I saw about it was Bernie Sanders is me at every party I've ever been to for somebody who's like a big time introvert. (laughs) And so, uh, You'll you'll see this if if you're on any of your social media feeds you'll you'll it's probably everywhere. inevitably run into it but it is just hilarious yes did you see it that really someone also created a website they they created a website where you can put in your address or someone's address or a business address and Bernie will be inserted into that Street View it's amazing. <laughs> I have not seen that yet, but that is hilarious. I also saw they turned him into the fly in Mike Pence's hair, uh, which was, you know, creative. And then probably my favorite just commentary on his wardrobe was somebody said something that that was like, uh, Sanders is out here dressed like this is on his to-do list, but he's got other plans or something like that. Because he just he just looked like it was a totally perfunctory thing for him to be there. And whatever else was going on that day, the inauguration was not the highlight. So... If you know anything about Bernie Sanders, that's just really on the nose. Well, Brent, that was that was really All right, good. Josh, and, what did you uh, bring? Yeah. So for for me this week, uh, here's I'm going to change it up on you and bring you something that I actually think is really helpful, which is a departure from my normal. Here's my 
here's this ridiculous thing I can't stop paying attention to. So I've been reading with my it, with my quiet time like devotion, Kevin DeYoung's book on the Ten Commandments. And it is really, really well done. And it's very simple. It's very accessible. Like you don't have to be any kind of Bible scholar. In fact, it's written for people who are either intimidated or don't know much about uh, the Ten Commandments. And for me, it's just been this really, really refreshing thing to uh, to just focus on these basic commands that God gave to Israel that are of eternal significance and are still uh, incredibly important for Christians today. And so uh, that's a it's a it's a small little book. I would encourage you to check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes, but it has been really helpful for me. All right. I just want to say that Josh took the high road and chose something spiritual and beneficial. And then I took the next the next view down, next level down, and I at least provided something helpful. But Brent took the really low, I don't know, low level, low view. And he just, I mean, he essentially shared an internet meme, which is not very on brand for Brent. But and Josh, only, good job I'm, on sharing I shared uh, something that will cause hearty <laughs> laughter. And in the in the January that we've just experienced, I think we all can use that. And if I'm honest, my favorite of the things that we all shared was Brent's because it was highly entertaining last night. So that's going to do it for the show today. Our special thanks to Julie and Megan for sitting in with us and for Julie's wrap up from her perspective of all the things we're doing here at the ERLC. That was super helpful. Uh, we want to just remind you that you can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing this episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or review. But for Brent and Megan and Julie and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.